your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome into the Future Sox Podcast. I am Elijah Evans, and I'm joined today by James Fox. We've got a different crew than usual today, um, and we are going to be talking about a little bit of everything. You know, we've got a lot going on with the Arizona Folly wrapping up this coming weekend, um, and all of the different decisions that have been going on within the White Sox organization, from player options to everything else with the coaching staff and rumors flying around. So uh, James and I are really going to dive into it today. What's going on, James? What's up, man? It's good to do a show with you. We haven't done one since, you know, since the draft show. And that was that was all excitement, like until the pick was made. And then it was, you know, a lot of talking ourselves into what the heck this team just did. So, yeah, exactly. That was uh, that was something I was I was definitely fired up during that. So it's good to get to talk to you in a, in a little bit more of a calm zone today um, and just kind of a lot of good things going on right now and things that we are you know excited to look at as the offseason gets rolling. Um, so let's let's get it going with some Arizona Fall League talk. So if everybody, I'm sure people have seen this already, but Colson Montgomery was the Fall Stars MVP a few days ago uh, after hitting a home run and a single in the Fall All-Star game for the Arizona Fall League. Um, he's just been, you know, really impressive. He's had some ups and downs in the Arizona Fall League. We've seen kind of a variety of performances from him throughout that time in Arizona while, you know, he's facing some pitching at a level he hasn't quite faced in the past. And he's also, he's taking it with stride and he's doing it and he's improving throughout the time there. Um, and it was just really good to see him on the big stage, just have that moment where it was like, man, <clears throat> this guy is going to be something because we've seen it in spurts and we know what he's capable of. But at the same time, it, seeing it on that type of stage and seeing the attention he's getting and just watching him continue to mature as a player is really exciting to me. Yeah, you know, I listened to the most recent uh, MLB Pipeline like podcast. That's one that I you know kind of listen to regularly. Um, and, and they were just saying on there like how impressive he's been, even like just like in interviews and stuff. And one of the things that they mentioned was, I guess, I, I guess I didn't realize that it's like uncommon for like the MVP of the fall stars game to be like the highest ranked prospect in the Arizona fall league. And, you know, that's what Colson has been. And like you said, there, there were some struggles, right. But I don't know what you thought of, like, I kind of heard him talking about how he like made a concerted effort to like, kind of like swing more than he kind of did during the regular season. Cause there was a period where it was a lot more K's than walks. And that really hasn't been his MO like as a professional essentially. So it's kind of good to hear him kind of say that he like did that um, intentionally, just knowing that it was going to be better pitching than he's ever faced. And it, you know, it does seem like he kind of figured it out. Like I think Jonathan Mayo on the broadcast made, made a comment about how, you know, the lefty that was coming in had like nasty stuff or whatever. And then like Colson Montgomery, like took him deep left, left. So yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's look, it's, it's a tiny sample but everybody cares about the Arizona Fall League, right? Because it's the it's the prospect league, and the fact that he's doing this there is really important. He's the seventeenth ranked prospect in baseball at Pipeline. Kylie McDaniel, VSPN, has him two overall, which you know I think both of us might think that's that's a little bit high. But this is what we're dealing with here, right? It's like a universal top twenty prospect that'll be top ten for a lot of people. 
And uh, yeah, like I think we're going to end up seeing him maybe a little bit even earlier than than you want to. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that part. Um, it's really interesting to hear what you were saying about, you know, the swing decisions, which I like to hear because when I was looking at the numbers and I was watching a few games from early in the Arizona Fall League, it was a bit concerning to me because he's such a patient, sophisticated hitter normally. So to see him swinging a lot and his strikeout rate go up was kind of confusing, but I think there's there's a lot of intention with everything he does. When I talk to him in Birmingham and when I've just seen him play all season, he's a very intentional person, and the way he approaches hitting, even in the cages when he's warming up, he has a methodical way about him that is well beyond his years. And I think that's important to note when you look at his numbers from Arizona, that he's making that effort to swing a little bit more and add some aggression because he's you know, he, he's facing pitching he hasn't faced. And like you said, you know, he, he's got that kind of ability to change gears and to work on certain things when he has the ability to in Arizona. And that's great to see. I liked kind of seeing his approach build back up a little bit the last week or two, because this is a guy who brings a skill set that we don't see on the White Sox roster. And he is, as throughout his time in the minor leagues, he has such a high just plate approach and ability to work counts and to find his pitches. And I want to see more and more of that, but it's also good experience for him to take those swings against better pitching. So it's exciting. It's all things to build on. I agree with you though, that there's, there's a really good chance we see him a little sooner than we want. I think we're going to, we're going to dive into that a little later, but let's talk about some of the other guys with the White Sox, um, you know, in of the few guys, the White Sox have there, there's a few guys, there's some that have really stood out in the last few days, Let's talk a little bit about Brian Ramos. Um, what have you kind of noticed, and how are you feeling about the way that Ramos Ramos's fall has gone? Yes, I mean it seems like he's like turned it on a little bit here, like of late. I just I always feel like like Brian Ramos, he like never has the runway. I feel like I feel like it's just like he'll get going, and then he has like some sort of minor injury, and then he'll struggle for a little bit, and then he'll get going again. I I always think like the most interesting thing is like Rule Five decisions and like adding guys to the 40 man and like things along those lines are just like things that I always pay attention to in regards to like what teams think of like their guys. Right. And he spent the entire season last year on the 40 man, like used an option, you know, and like he's super young still and played in Birmingham. So I'm just wondering, like, do they, do they hike him to Charlotte and how quickly does he, you know, become an option for the white Sox? I mean, he's really only played, third he's played second in the past but that hasn't been like a thing really and then like Chris Getz talked about how like Moncada could move around potentially so I just I don't know like I feel like you know like Ramos is right on the precipice so I mean I, I do think we see him I guess I still just don't know you know I don't know how much of a big league impact it is but like he definitely you know has has tools I just, I'm very curious to see like what it looks like once he finally gets there. It's interesting you said that about Getz because my first thought the second I heard that quote was that's relating to Brian Ramos because it has to be. There's nobody else that's coming up and playing third base anytime soon. And there's no reason you think about necessarily moving Moncada. Uh, I mean, I, I think you have to consider trading him first of all, but I don't think you're moving him positionally as good as he's been at third base if it's not because of Ramos essentially. So I, I think that Ramos is... I think he's the third baseman of the future in Chicago, and I've thought that for a long time. I think his swing 
just is going to keep getting better. It's maturing more with time. His approach has continued to get better as he's developed in the last year or two. And he's someone who just drives the ball. He can hit it to all different fields. He has that power upside where you wouldn't be surprised if you saw Ramos hit 25 home runs in a season, you know? So he, I, I think there's, there's definitely some things he's still tweaking, right? But he's still young. He has more experience than Colson Montgomery and they're the same age. So I, I see Ramos as a guy who could have a really legit big league impact probably needs a little more time. Um, I think he probably is in Charlotte fairly early, if not to start the year, honestly. I mean, he even in an injury-riddled season for part of the season, you know, he still kind of proved what he needed to prove in Birmingham, I think. He, he had his ups and downs, but the guy mashes lefties, first of all, and he he's getting better with his approach against right-handers. And I think his just offensive upside, in addition to the fact that he's gotten a lot better at third base, he's looked comfortable there in the fall league. He looked comfortable there in Birmingham this year. His arm is strong. His range has improved a little bit. I think that was part of the thinking of like maybe he ends up a second was because the range wasn't always there, um, you know, two years ago when he was starting to come up in the system. But he has done everything he needs to do to continue to get better at third base. He's working hard at it. And he looks like a big league third baseman right now. So whether it's, you know, being kind of a, a versatile player and Mankata shifting to second when he comes up or something like that. Come 2025, I, I don't see the White Sox taking a $25 million option on Mankata, whether they plan to trade him or not. So I think come 2025, Ramos is the plan at third base, and he's he's doing everything he needs to do in the fall league to get more experience under his belt. Yeah, I mean, I would say 2025 for sure, like unless he's used in some sort of like trade, obviously, which, you know, we, we have no idea. But I just kind of think this year... Like, as rough as it's going to be, and I do think we see, like, multiple stopgap veterans, like, signed, and they've been talking about improving the defense, and it's, like, not that terrible of a strategy. I just I just don't know how Brian Ramos, like, isn't, like, part of this thing. Probably this year, maybe soon. Like, it, and, and they haven't seemed to really care that much about, like, getting these guys, like, a ton of run at Charlotte. So, yeah, I mean, I think if, you know, barring something happening where they like spin him for something else. Like I, I think, I think we're going to see him uh, fairly soon. And when he's played, he's been pretty impressive. You know, he's always had power. He improved the walk rate, like at Birmingham, um, which, which is like a pretty good sign. So yeah, I think he's, he's, he's pretty exciting. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's shift to two of the relief pitchers that are in, you know, the fall league and have done an excellent job. Jordan Leisure, who was acquired by the Dodgers. Um, if you all are interested there, I did an interview with him a few weeks ago. It was great to kind of hear his perspective on the way he pitches and the way he approaches things. Uh, and then Frazier Ellard, the two of them have kind of been the, the late inning duo for the Glendale desert dogs um, and have done an excellent job. Leisure was solid in the fall stars game and they've both been really strong throughout the entire fall league. Um, I see, you know, these uh, the White Sox bullpen is has very few solidified people in it. Uh, you know, Gregory Santos obviously established himself as a future piece, and Crochet and Bummer will be there unless they end up. You know, Bummer could be moved at some point in the near future. Uh, but you know, the bullpen has a lot of openings, and Jordan Leisure is someone who I think we're almost expecting to be in the bullpen right out of the gate. And Ellard is someone who, with a little bit more innings under his belt and improve, continuing to work on his command, could also be a, a piece at some point in 2024. Um, what have you liked kind of from both of them, and what do you see going forward from those two? Yeah, I mean, Leisure is just like electric stuff. I mean, it just looks like a high-leverage reliever. I mean, obviously he's he's struggled with walks, right? But I think that's like the type of guy that, you just like stick with Brian Bannister, right? And and kind of see what happens. It was like an underrated part of that Dodgers trade because you you trade a guy like Lance Lynn and you get Nick Nestrini. 
but like the you know the sweetener is like a Jordan Leisure, right? It's like not a top prospect, but because he's since he's a reliever, right? But it, I mean, you, you could you could essentially get like an eighth inning guy out of it. Not that he can't close, but you know, I just kind of feel like Gregory Santos is the closer for now. Yeah, there's no reason why that guy shouldn't be like in the big leagues next year. He's 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 been been pretty impressive. And then Frazier Ellard's interesting just because like the White Sox always have like some reliever that they, they put on the 40 man, like in front of the rule five deadline um, that like, you're not expecting, like it happens all, like all the time. Like it was how Matt Foster was. And there was like the Anderson uh, Severino, right. From the Yankees they had who they just, so, you know, like a lot of times they'll send these, relievers to the Arizona Fall League to give them a shot. But it's also guys that are like really close to being up for rule five and they want to like make a decision on a guy. So, you know, I think that deadline is like November 14th or something like that. And there's, you know, there's some obvious names like Eater and Christian Maynard, guys you have to protect. If Frazier Ellard's on that list, I wouldn't be surprised. And if he is, it'll kind of tell you what they think of him. Um, because I don't know if you've done this recently, Elijah, but if you go look at the White Sox 40-man, like, there are pitchers on there who, like, I forgot that are, like, on there. there there's a lot of guys on the 40-man, so there, there's a lot of space that can be created right now. Yeah, definitely. And Ellard's a guy, right? He's he's an older pitcher. He didn't even have a – he didn't have a very good season at all this past year in the minor leagues, but – there is a reason he's at the Arizona Fall League, right? Teams don't just send guys there for, you know, just to be just because, right? You know, he, he had a somewhat limited season and he's got some stuff. Like his stuff can seriously play. He just has some fine tuning to do on his body and his and his location, especially, I think. So that's a guy who it's an obvious indication that the White Sox see something there that they want to build on. And that's why he's been in Arizona and that he's done a really good job since he's been there. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I think Leisure cracks the opening day roster. I don't see any reason why he doesn't. You need to fill eight bullpen spots, and there's only pretty much three that I think are confirmed right now. So Leisure should have one of those spots. His stuff is incredible. He has one of the best fastballs in the entire minor leagues. And then he's starting to pair that with he already had a slider, and he's developed a curveball in the last year um, that has really started to look good in Arizona. So that's a guy who, you know, can mow guys down in the bullpen with a fastball and his ability to now pair it with two different breaking ball looks is going to play up at the next level. Like you said, I think I think he's a seventh, eighth inning guy pretty much right off the bat, honestly. Um, so I'm excited to see where things go with those two. And in addition to Ramos and Colson, I think these are you know four players that we're at some point in 2024, we kind of expect to see in Chicago. Uh, looking towards a different side of things, you know, there was some big decisions made in the last week that we've had many different opinions on throughout the White Sox community. And I know uh, both of us have had our own takes on it. So let's dive into some of these, these team options. We'll start with Liam Hendricks, uh, who had a $15 million team option that was declined. Um, I, I love Liam Hendricks. I will always love Liam Hendricks. He has a special place for a lot of White Sox fans, honestly. But at the end of the day, I think it was the right decision. He wasn't going to pitch this year. The White Sox have to try and plug some holes and use that money elsewhere. What were your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think it was kind of a no-brainer. I mean, it sucks because, like, everybody likes Liam Hendricks. But, I mean, I think the bottom line kind of was, like, you know, if Hendricks doesn't get hurt, you know, do you think they deal him last year, like, at the deadline, like, with their other moves, right? So, 
you know, I just like didn't know that he was ever gonna do year four. Like, if if they weren't winning, right? It's kind of like the the out that they built in for themselves. And then with the Tommy John, I mean, it just, I mean, yeah, they they kind of had to. I mean, he's getting his money regardless. He gets one and a half million what a season for like the next ten years. I wouldn't be totally shocked if they like work something out and he came back. But I mean, like at this point, like if I were him, I'd want to, you know sign with the Dodgers or somebody or just, you know, go to somebody where he could contend. I think he'll always kind of be part of the White Sox family or whatever. And, you know, he was a big fan favorite, but I mean, the way Jerry Reinsdorf does business, that's 13 and a half million dollars extra that they can spend this year. And while I don't think any of us think they're going to go out and hand out a bunch of money to like a qualifying offer free agent, like I do think they, they have some holes to fill and 13 and a half million is like a lot that, you know, that they can use towards something. I think that's probably what they're going to do. They don't need to be forking over that kind of money in the bullpen, especially. So, yeah, well, I mean, while, while the whole thing was unfortunate, I think that one was was kind of expected at this point. It's a it's a bummer. And I think he'll sign a two year deal with a really good team where he can rehab this year and get some money and then he can move from there to being, you know, a, a highly paid pitcher for one season, essentially, when he comes back and a team will take that risk on him because he does have pedigree and he's been an excellent closer for, for many years at this point, really. You know, he had a hard he had a hard start to his career and it took him years to kind of find himself as a pitcher. But he has done that excellently and I, he's going to get He's going to get a deal somewhere. Somebody's going to take a chance on him coming back and bouncing back from Tommy John. Um, we'll shift gears to to Mike Clevenger, who, you know, as much as a lot of people don't like the guy, he was the best pitcher on the White Sox starting rotation last year. That's kind of indisputable, honestly. Um, he finished the season, despite some injuries, he finished the season strong. He had a good year. The peripherals show that he's probably due for a little bit of regression, but he's at a point in his career where he's going to make himself some money. Um, and I, I'm not surprised at all that he declined his player option. I think I, the team didn't necessarily, I don't know if you saw details on this. It, I don't know if they specified if they also declined it because it was a mutual option. I think he declined it initially, and then the team can just say, you know, his option was declined. Uh, but I do believe it was his decision and it was probably a good one because I think he'll get a three-year deal somewhere for being, you know, a solid three, four type pitcher. Yeah. So they don't say it because it's a mutual. So, and he turned down his end. So it doesn't really matter what the Sox did. And like, I wouldn't be surprised if they would have picked up their end because like, you know, the way that that deal was, was presented last year was a one year, $12 million contract because it was 8 million in year one. And if he picked it up, it would have been, 12 million in year two, right? So had they like agreed to come back, it would have been two years and 20 million. That was never going to happen most likely, right? Because if he was totally terrible, the Sox would have declined it and it would have been one year and 12 million. And since he was really good, he declined it. So it ended up being one year and 12 million. So, you know, that's essentially what happens there. I mean, all he needs to do what to make up the difference is $8 million on the open market. I think he can definitely do that. I think, you know, White Sox fans probably don't care because they don't really want Mike Clevenger on the team. Um, so look, I don't, I don't really think it matters that much, but he did. He, he pitched pretty well down the stretch when nobody was watching anymore, and he probably will turn it into a multi-year deal, I would think. Yeah, it's a, it's good for him. He'll, he'll get a deal for sure, and he'll make more than $8 million. I can pretty much guarantee that. Um, you know, now going to the big one, um, I had some I had some strong opinions on this. A lot of people did not agree with me. Um, Tim Anderson, the the team declined his $14 million team option. I think, like we talked about earlier, the, the plan at shortstop for the White Sox for a long time is Colson Montgomery. And while I understand that, 
I, I don't think he's ready, and I don't really see the harm in allowing TA to try and rebuild his value and see if they can turn him into something at the deadline when Colson is a, has a little more time. I still they're not going to put Colson on the opening day roster. Still, it's going to be some sort of veteran addition. But I I'm just I'm curious where you're at on this because this is the one of the three that I did not agree with. Yes, I mean I was okay declining just because like if you are going to this like focus on defense, right? And I think they want these young pitchers to. To, to get a lot of run and, you know, like preach the strike throwing. And I hope they do something at catcher, right, to like help with that, whether that's like an Austin Hedges or somebody, you know, where you just go all defense. Like if that's your plan, I'm just not sure you can put Tim Anderson at shortstop because he hasn't been that good defensively and he's just really fallen off offensively. And obviously, like, look, we remember what Tim Anderson was. He hasn't been that guy in a while. He very clearly had no trade value at $14 million. And, you know, there's been some, like, rumblings that maybe he comes back cheaper. I don't, I don't really think that happens. I think he, you know, I think he goes and plays second base for a contender, and, you know, we'll, we'll see if he can figure it out and, and get back. I think, you know, something Chris Getz said that was interesting to me was that it, it's just kind of like deadlines, right? If you didn't have to make this decision for, like, a couple of months, like maybe they just like hold on to Tim Anderson and see what happens. But since it has to be done like at the beginning of the off season and it's a yay or nay type thing, you know, it's just like, no, we're not willing to pay him $14 million. So, you know, at that point, like this is the decision they made. It was, it was kind of a clean break. I think a lot of people that we talked to thought similarly, like we had Chris Lanuti on and he thought they'd decline. We had uh beef loaf on and he was all aboard them declining just because I guess when guys have been as bad offensively as Tim has, like they just don't generally bounce back from it. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see if it, if it burns them essentially. But I think like they just, at that price, they just, they weren't doing it. And apparently nobody else was either. Yeah. That's some good context you provide. And I don't, I don't disagree on a lot of those points. I think that's important to consider that nobody else clearly wanted him at that value. Um, and that, you know, the, the White Sox, I think if it, if the defensive minded logic is what's in place, I, I guess I get that. Um, I just, I just sense the world where he goes to the Dodgers and he splits second base and shortstop with Gavin Lux and he becomes an all-star again, or he goes to the Mariners and he agrees to play second base full time and he elevates that offense to another level type of thing. You know, it just, there's no winning almost sometimes with the White Sox. And that's what it felt like in this situation to me, because I get the idea of making the clean break, but I just, I, I, I think he bounces back and I know he's been really, he's been really bad. And I don't know if bounces back means, you know, all-star 2021 Tim Anderson, but I think he bounces back to at least an above average player because he's, he's a, I mean, people, I I think it's important to remember just how good he was for a few seasons. And I, I know it's been since the middle of 2022, it's been really bad, but he was one of the better. I mean, he was a consensus top 10 shortstop in baseball. You know, that, that was, that was pretty clear. And I think for that position, given the level of options out there, the, the biggest reason I'm a little bit like, you know, I, I don't get why they couldn't have maybe got something or tried to get something for him in the deadline. There is no free agent shortstops out there. The White Sox are going to sign somebody, but he is still, even even coming off one of the worst offensive seasons in the entire league, he's still by far the best free agent shortstop available. So he's still going to get a deal. I think he's going to get some money. Um, and I think that he's going to bounce back to a degree and the Sox are just going to have to live with that. And that is okay, honestly. It's okay. It's fine. Um, but then what do you... What do you see being the plan 
at shortstop this season in terms of the timeline? Because I am really curious to see who is signed kind of for now, or if they kind of turn it over to Jose Rodriguez maybe, or what the plan is for the short term, and then when that turns into the Colson Montgomery show. Right, so I just think it's like kind of wide open, right? I, I I mean, I don't think Colson is like super soon or anything, but I mean, it depends, right? Like Elijah, it depends where they start him. Like if they start him in Charlotte, it could be really soon because I just like don't know how long he needs to play there. So if it's June or even July, I do think we see him at some point. I think it's, I think it's interesting to just kind of see how they build this thing, right? Because it's easy to say like they want like a stopgap veteran at shortstop. And look, I don't think that's going to be Elvis Andrews. I, you know, I think on White Sox Twitter, what we've seen like Paul DeYoung mentioned and there's some other names where it's just like a defense-focused thing. But I mean, maybe they get a, a young shortstop back in a deal for somebody, right? Because I do think they're going to be pretty active i don't know how quickly like dylan cease would get moved if they did it or like you would think aaron bummer has like a lot of value to contenders so you know maybe they trade for like a youngish veteran that's at short but yeah i think their whole middle i just think their whole you know both spots of their middle infield are going to be new probably it's going to be interesting because it could even be like you know Everybody talk about the cease to the Orioles thing. If you were to see that deal, you could even be like a Jordan Westberg or a Joey Ortiz who still has prospect status, right? And could play shortstop now and then potentially both both those guys are kind of Norby even. They're, the Orioles are loaded with middle infielders who could then eventually be second baseman when Colson when Colson's ready for short. So it's it could be a league ready prospect. I, I think the most likely situation is just kind of that defensive minded veteran. And with second base, it's interesting to think about because I, I think uh, my logic is that you should give the two young second basemen in the system just a chance at this point. I think both Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez are at the point where it's like they either play and they prove themselves or they play and they're kind of triple-A guys for the long term, right? So it's it's an interesting situation to be in with both these spots now pretty wide open where it could go a lot of different directions. And I, I would like to see, and like you said, an external acquisition would be nice, kind of a young a young but maybe slightly experienced player for either short or second or a little bit of both maybe would be interesting to see. But I still think the most likely situation is a veteran shortstop with kind of the young guys second base for now and then eventually Colson coming up and taking that shortstop spot. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. But for now, I think we're we're gonna have plenty of time this offseason. Everybody who listens to us, we're gonna have uh, so many breakdowns of all the roster and everything else this this winter. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about all the coaching news this week, and I'll I'll get it started with you and kind of give us an idea of some of your your favorite hires of all these coaching staff and some of the ones you were a little bit more confused about. Well, so like when I saw the Marcus Tims thing, like I was cool with it because of like where he's been. And like some of the things that he's preached, like he's a big like control the strike zone and then hit homers type guy. But but then as we talked about before the show came on, like I, he's been white white soxed already, I guess, where he's like, you know, kind of talking about Getz and Griffol's image of like bunting and moving the ball around and stuff, which I can't stand because he's just you know, it's like really hard to win like that. So I guess it kind of depends on what team they have. That one I thought, you know, was interesting. And then even like the additions of like Jason uh, Bourgeois and um, Grady Sizemore, just that like somebody else is coaching outfield other than Daryl Boston, which I which I think is is good. Like it's it's been a problem for a long time, 
and Daryl Boston's finally gone, like, along with Kenny. Not that, like, those guys are great at it, but I think, like, at least, like, someone will be doing it. Um, and then, you know, Butera, I saw Chris Getz mentioned that he they think he's a future manager. Like, he's, you know, just a backup or even, like, what, third third catcher in the big leagues for a long time. Those are the type of guys that turn into managers. So the fact that they're going to have a big league catching coach um, – I think is, is kind of interesting too. So, uh, you know, I do like this staff. I just don't like the manager. So it's really tough to, you know, like if it was this staff with a different manager, I'd be like, Oh yeah, this is, this is kind of interesting with some interesting names, but since Griffol's still there, like it's kind of just, eh, whatever. Like I'm much more interested, you know, to see if there's like more front office moves coming. Like I do anticipate like a lot of movement, in the minor leagues. Um, and then, you know, I'm just curious to see whether there's like a hitting equivalent to Brian Bannister that comes and things along those lines, there should still be like some room to add if they want to. Yeah, there definitely is going to be more moving parts there. And I think it's funny what you said. I mean, I, I am a little bit, I think I'm marginally more pro Pedro than other people. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm pro Pedro, but I think I'm a little more okay with him than most are. Um, but it is, it is a good general philosophy to add some of these young, recent MLB guys, guys who have played in the league, who have experience, who have relationships throughout the league, and are just coaches that that know what it's like and know what the daily grind's like and can teach fundamentals. I'm hoping Grady Sizemore, you know, is a, is a very good option for right for outfield defense and for base running, and those are things that he was great at in his career. So it's the idea of adding major league former players is great and I like it but like you said it, it's hard to get excited when there was an opportunity this offseason to hire an established manager and they stuck with Grafal from the start of the offseason and didn't even make it a possibility right so I mean like a Ron Washington who just became the manager today of the Angels right that's that's somebody that would be kind of cool for the White Sox I think his name was mentioned last year or when the Sox were searching and it's just it's just tricky to get excited and to be you know, look towards the future when you have a manager who didn't do anything last year and the organization, the philosophy behind the coaching staff, it just, it doesn't sit right with me and it doesn't feel like the right strategy to me. But at the same time, I, I can't complain about a lot of these hires. I think for the most part, they were, they were good hires. The staff on paper is a lot of guys who have big league experience. And it's, this year is going to be about establishing not only a culture, but a level of just quality baseball where it's just doing things the right way, especially defensive focused and changing the approach that they've had the last few years. And I'm hoping the staff can do that. Yeah, I know. I, I hope so. I mean, it's just, I, I just think it's going to be like a lot of young players and stopgap veterans. Right. And I guess like maybe the most, the underrated part, like we haven't really talked about like, like Ethan Katz returns. They got Matt wise. I don't know how much of a difference that is, but I think just like Brian Bannister's presence and what he's done, you know, I know that's like more of a front office move than a coaching move, but just everywhere he's been, he's unearthed more out of pitchers. And I think, you know, with the amount of young pitchers that they're going to throw, um, I, I just like, it's, it's something that I'm curious to see. Like if you really want to lean into defense, like I hope they do it at catcher, obviously like this is the second time I've mentioned Austin hedges, like fans would hate him. He can't hit it all, but I mean, you know, yeah, it's like the, you know, like the Martin Maldonado thing. It's just like, you know exactly what you're getting. You're not going to be good anyway. 
So just do that. Like instead of, you know, something like Salvador Perez or something along those lines, you know, I am curious too, like just to see how much they dip into like the free agent pitching market. Cause you know, some of these guys that you've talked to, like I'm expecting to see Jake Eater and, you know, I'm expecting to see Nick Nestrini and probably Christian Mena. And that doesn't mean that they'll be on the team on opening day. Like, do you, do you go after like a couple of, you know, like Tuki Toussaint types, right? Where you have like these number fives, or do you actually go out and sign somebody? You know, I know the, the White Sox are one of the rumored teams on Cuban right-hander Yariel Rodriguez. You know, there are some scouts that think he's a reliever. So I feel like the team that ultimately signs him will, will at least like have some thought that he's a starter, right? Cause he's probably going to get pretty decent money. I would think he'll get like 50 to 60 million. And if you're giving him that, you think he can start. So that'll be interesting. Like there's been a lot of like photos recently of him with Luis Robert. They were teammates in, in Cuba. So, you know, maybe that's like one of their splashes. And then, you know, they acquire another young starter, like in return for cease or whatever, but yeah, man. I mean, it's, I don't, I don't expect Dylan Cease to be on the team and I don't really know what the plan for Michael Kopech is. So, you know, you, you really don't have much starting pitching locked down. The pitching is wide open. That's the thing, right? Like you said, I mean, there's, I, I think there's still a chance they keep Cease, but with or without Cease, right? That's one pitcher. I, I think Kopech is, is destined for either a trade or a bullpen role. Eventually, maybe they just keep riding it out with him as a starter, but he does not look like an MLB starter. And I think if he's going to be one, it might have to happen with a different team. So you're looking at a rotation that has at most two guys and probably zero or one that are, that are clearly in the rotation, right? So the way I think of it is that I think the ideal situation is you get one, at least one long-term piece, whether it be a Rodriguez and you believe in him as a starter, or, you know, obviously like an Eduardo Rodriguez would be excellent. There's a bunch of guys on the market who would be really great acquisitions. I think if you can get one piece that you know is going to be around for a long time, in addition to then two or three, you know, either bounce back candidates or, you know, just the veteran stop gaps, right? Because you want to leave room for Nestrini, who I think will even crack the opening day roster, probably given the status of the rotation. And then all these other guys that are on the way between Mena, Cannon, Eater. I mean, you've mentioned some of them, but it's there, there's so many solid young pitchers that are on the way and you want to see what you have with them sooner than later. But in the meantime, you got to sign some guys because there, there's just not a rotation right now. So it becomes, I don't think anybody wants to see more than a few starts out of either, you know, a, a Tukey or a Schultons or whatever that might be. So I, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. So I'm hoping that at least a veteran addition and kind of a bounce back in addition to somebody that can be more long-term fills it out. Is that, are you with me on that? Or what do you think? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially if like, Yariel Rodriguez is like your your big ticket item, right? If you think he's, even if you think he's a number four starter and it's four years and 60 million or something, right? Like he's only 25. Like if that guy's going to be in your rotation for a while, that's fine. And then, yeah, like a couple of like stopgap guys, kind of like you said, you let the kids play too. And, and that's kind of like what you're dealing with. I th- I think that makes a lot of sense. I just think, you know, it's they're definitely going to be new faces because they don't have any starting pitching. And I don't think that Tukey Toussaint and Jesse Schultons are going to be in the starting rotation on opening day, maybe Tukey, but I just, you know, I don't, I don't really, 
I think that's part of the plan. So, it, you know, it'll, it'll be a really interesting offseason because I do think there are lots of transactions coming. That doesn't mean that, you know, I'm, I'm going to like everything that they do, but, but I think it's pretty apparent that there's going to be, like, lots of change and lots of moves coming. Yeah, there's going to be a ton of moves. I think I, I, we've talked about this. I talked about this with Mike recently, but, you know, it's it's the pitching, right? That's the first thing. But then, like you said, veteran catcher, whether it's Hedges, I like Victor Carantini as another option there. There's a lot of guys that could fill that spot. There's second base where you're either just rolling with the young guys or you're assigning somebody. There's shortstop where you need a veteran addition. There's got to figure out something for right field. Colos can't be the only option in right field. You got to sign at least somebody who can share that spot and be a backup for Luis and Benintendi. So there's a lot of spots that bullpen, right? Even with the young guys that we mentioned, like leisure, there still needs to be a few bullpen signings, even for minimal money, whatever that might be, right? So there's plenty of places that need to be plug and chugged, and we are going to continue to dive into it. Um, it was great doing this podcast with you, James. We don't get to do this very often. Um, and I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun to keep following how everything goes this off season and future socks has got you covered for, for all your coverage um, over the next few months of transactions and trades and everything else going on. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for hosting. I like that, you know, similarly to when I do this with Mike, I can kind of just like turn on the mic and start talking. So I'm trusting that, that you can handle this on that end. I'm glad it worked out that way. So uh, yeah, thank you to everybody for listening and stick back in with us throughout the rest of the season. We'll be back to more of our normal schedule coming up next week. We've got another interview coming out um, next week with Jonathan Cannon. Um, in addition to all of our normal podcasts that we do on the Future Sox Network. That is all for today. We will talk to you all next week.